Welcome back to Cyberology, Dakota State University's podcast about all things cyber and technology. I'm Jen Burris. I'm Gabe Midland. And today we have Carrie Hall with us to talk about exercise science. Carrie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, friends. I'm Carrie, and I've been at DSU for five years teaching exercise science. And I'm working on a PhD in health and human performance. And I teach most of the upper level exercise science courses here at DSU. Why don't we start with you just talking a little bit about what exercise science is? Mm-hmm. So it's a science, exactly what it sounds like. We go in and we look at the human body um, and how it's affected by exercise. So we look at, um, you know, first we teach structure of the human body. So, you know, we have students taking anatomy classes, things like that, and biology and chemistries. And then when they get into their upper level courses, we get more specific with the exercise piece of it. So we will apply exercise to the human body, whether it's strength, endurance, cardiovascular, running type of things. And then we look from a cellular level all the way up to an organ level to the whole body and see how it affects different systems of the body and the benefits of it, as well as kind of what might be some of the things that hold us back. The other part to exercise science too is that because it's physical activity, we also look at it from a healthcare perspective as far as what can physical activity do to enhance people's lives, um, help with like living more independently for a longer time. So, you know, if you think about older adulthood, we have folks living up into their mid-70s and a lot of folks lose independence in those years. So one of the things we really focus on is prevention through exercise um, and nutrition, of course, as well. So when you think about how, how do we promote that, how do we get people to buy in and do exercise all the way through the lifespan? And so that starts out, of course, with our PE teachers. So in the College of Education, when we have PE teachers coming into our exercise classes, we talk about what are some of the skills you can give kiddos. So when they turn 18, when they go out on their own, what can they keep with them as they go through life, whether it's team sports, individual things, and then how can we keep that buy-in into the older adults so that they have the opportunity to have an independent lifestyle because we know exercise and good nutrition are linked to more independent lifestyle, healthier lifestyle, less risk factors, less chronic illnesses, which is the big thing we're dealing with now. Um, Cardiovascular disease, cancer, and unintentional accidents are like the top three killers at this point. And physical activity has something to do with all three of those as far as benefit goes. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> Sorry. Of, no, it's a lot of information. Um, and it kind of highlights how expansive the field is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something for everyone with exercise science. And it's a cool major too, because if you're into health sciences and you're into science in general, you're into research, usually you can find something. When we teach our incoming freshmen, we teach them about the, the 12 subdisciplines of kinesiology, is what it's called. So we have sports medicine, we have biomechanics, we have kinesiology, we have ex-phys, we have sports psychology. That's actually become pretty popular lately. We've had a few students go on in their master's degrees to that. The idea is that it's just a really big major where you can kind of go in and find a niche that you like and you can get a job there. In talking about all these different areas and research and study, what kind of technology is involved in that? Oh, anything you like nowadays, Um, really. I mean, you can get, uh, like, smart socks that will track your steps, things like that. Yep. You can get a smart water bottle that tells you how much water you're drinking per day. It's everywhere. The biggest ones, of course, are the the wearables, the, Mm -hmm. the new smart watches, Fitbits, all of that. And those are pretty handy. 
Um, but those those industries making that technology are doing very, very well. Um, a lot of people have the smartwatches um, that can tell them everything from how much sleep they've gotten to their blood pressure to heart rate to how many steps they've taken per day. And you can take a phone call on them, too. <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. So kind of the wearable stuff is really popular right now. But there's other technology out there, too, that we use kind of in the in the lab, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the NeuroTracker is the easy one for me to talk about. That kind of technology is more fixed in a lab where you can bring people in and do some research with it. Or if you want to use it in a clinical type of setting, you can also bring people on board and um, have them try it out. So the NeuroTracker, I can kind of explain that briefly. Um, It's multiple object tracking. What happens is a person goes in there and there's a big TV screen and they put on three-dimensional glasses, so the blue and red glasses, and they stand there, and what happens is there's eight balls, and they'll, they'll see these eight balls in three-dimensional space, and they have to memorize which balls they're supposed to track. Once they get done with the timer, so it's like eight seconds or 20 seconds, whatever the setting is for the particular person, they do that over a series of about four hours, not in one setting, but over time. So over mm-hmm. several weeks, they'll go through about four hours worth of training, And what the idea is, is that the perceptual cognitive type of stuff is supposed to improve. So when you think about physical activity and team sports and getting a competitive edge, this is now kind of a cognitive thing to help train the brain, Mm -hmm. essentially, to improve their sports performance. Mm. Um, You see it in a lot of professional sports. I think like the Atlanta Falcons use it. There's some places over in Europe that use it for professional rugby, soccer. In in the sports world and sports performance, we're always looking to gain a competitive edge, right? Mm -hmm. An Olympic sprinter needs to cut 0.01 seconds off, and that's going to be the difference between a gold and a silver, um, or not meddling at all. So Mm -hmm. what can we do? Well, we're starting to figure out all these different areas that maybe we could touch on that could help people gain a competitive edge. Speaking to physical performance, we have a ton of tools we're using already. Three-dimensional motion. We put people up in front of a video camera with these little discs on every part of their joint. And what that does is the camera will take in what that person's doing. Maybe it's a layup. Maybe it's coming out of the blocks in a sprint. And that will record them, put it up into software, and turn them into a skeleton. And so we can watch what their joints are doing and see where maybe they need to make improvements in their technique. Oh, my God. I would have loved that in high school. It's really cool. It's really cool. We don't, I don't have that technology yet, but Maybe someday. I could learn how to do a left-handed layup. Yes, you could. Yeah. Um, so we have, you know, kind of this new cognitive side that we've been looking at, and their studies are starting to be published with that. Um, but we also have, you know, the physical activity stuff that we've been working on for a really long time, and um, we can fine-tune things to, to get those kind of advantages. So when it comes to sports performance, things like that, there's a lot of really cool stuff out that we can use. But for the average user, for someone who just wants to watch their fitness, make sure that they're getting their 150 minutes of exercise in per week, the the wearables seem to be the big hot button right now. Any thoughts you have so far, Gabe? Well, some of the things that you were talking about, um, I have a a 99-year-old father. Mm -hmm. He and his wife live in a rest home in, in Brookings. And I've noticed um, my father seems to be pretty active physically. He's able to get around okay and things like that. But some of the other residents, when they lose their mobility, it seems like that's almost the beginning, and I hate to put it this way, the beginning of the end, that when they lose that, that ability to move, 
it, it seems to affect every other dimension of their life. Is that just my observation, or I see you kind of nodding in agreement? Independence is so important, right? Uh-huh. And you could probably speak to this from the psychological perspective of what happens when we lose our driver's license, what happens when we can't drive anymore. Psychologically, uh, you lose your means to get around, to see your friends, socialize, things like that. Mm-hmm. But we want to keep people as independent as possible for as long as possible. We want to keep people in their home for as long as possible so that here's why physical activity is important. Let's make sure you can get your groceries through the door. You know, can you hold two bags of groceries? Can you walk up the three steps to get in the house? Can you use the restroom? Can you sit to stand is a big one. Mm -hmm. Sit to stand is something we don't even think about at our age. But in older adulthood, it becomes hard. So when you get to the point where you're in long-term care facilities... And what little you have remaining of your independence that might be physical, like walking, is important. Sure. Right? Sure. You you can walk and you can go to different places. You can go visit your friends. You can get up from the the dinner table. When you're sitting in a bed most of the day, or if you're your wheelchair user, that's a kind of a point where you realize how much you've lost. Yeah, there's fewer options or alternatives from which you can choose. Right. I'd never really thought of it before, but uh, what you're saying is seems to be critical for overall health, Mm -hmm. not just physical health. And I look at older adults just, I mean, that's kind of where I I have my research based at right now is with that population. When you think about rural people like us, the other part to that loss of independence is what kind of health care do you have around? Even if you're not in a long-term care facility, if you're still a homebound, what happens when you fall? That's another thing that, you know, is kind of emerging on the health side of things is telehealth. And sometimes those wearables are able to make phone calls, mm-hmm. like to 911. Or if you need to, all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're diabetic and you watch your blood pressure blood on sugar. your blood sugar, blood, yeah, or blood pressure. I mean, I suppose they both anything, kind of factor in. Right. But I mean, that can be a helpful thing for older adults too, mm-hmm. right? It can be a way to keep yourself safe. Um, back in the day when we didn't have those technologies, people felt they'd, you know, if they didn't have the little necklace button that you uh, could push. Life I've fallen, I can't get up. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of good benefits to um, some of that wearable technology, especially when you talk about older adults and losing independence. It's nice to be able to know that you have something right in front of you that you can, hey, I fell. I think I broke my hip. I'm going to call 911. That's pretty cool. And so folks who are in rural areas, too, I guess I'm kind of going away from that. But my point there was when they're in those rural settings, and there isn't a lot of help around, how are you going to connect, contact people? How are you going to connect with people? Well, if you, you know, if you can afford it, which is one other thing, but if you can afford it, or if um, you have a means to be able to reach somebody and communicate with them, I think that's an an important example of, you know, when you live far away and, you know, you're not right across the street from Avera Health or Sanford Health. Right. It's, it's different. So you've talked a lot about the technology that we have available to us now mm-hmm. that has been very helpful in assisting people and modifying maybe some of the things that they do. What's what's coming up that you're hearing about that you're excited about? You know, honestly, it's kind of just all of this wearable stuff that I've been talking about. It's just the, people are getting creative with it now. Like we have the technology and we can do it. What can we do? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Some of the stuff we didn't have in human performance before, you know, maybe in the last decade we've had it. um, I'd have to go back and and do my history lesson here. But there's wearable suits now that you can use that will track your biomechanicals. Um, So you can put a whole suit on. Yeah, so go to Google or go to YouTube and type in ESPN Sports Science Institute and then look up the Lion King. 
So the Lion King went on to a musical theater yes. thing, mm-hmm. right? right? So what they did is they took their performers and they put these biomechanical suits on them. They look like scuba suits. They're like full okay. black with like, you know, and then they got the tech inside of them. And these people go and they dance and they do their routines and all this stuff. And that suit pops it into a software program, uploads it onto a computer, and you can see how fast they twirl, how many seconds they are off the ground. There's so many metrics, velocity, torque. It's just, it's crazy what we can do. Hmm. So I think that's probably the exciting stuff to me is the wearable stuff. Um, And I know I'm talking it up a lot. The only thing people want to maybe be careful about is sometimes we can become over-invested with wearable technology where mm-hmm. we're constantly checking our iPhone or our iWatch or whatever. Is it iWatch? Apple Watch? Apple, Apple Watch. Watch, yeah. Yeah, or a Fitbit or whatever. So sometimes people get really, you know, reliant upon it to the point where maybe it's 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 an issue. But I don't, I don't think I've ever really seen it that way. But I just know that that's one thing that's gotten brought up in the past. Maybe so. a little health anxiety of constantly checking their numbers. Yes, you said that much quicker and better than I did. <laughs> what is the benefit of all of these things to everyday society? Well, there's a lot of benefit. And I think we've talked about a little bit of that, especially with our older adults. Mm-hmm. We are notoriously not a very healthy country. Around the world, it's not great, right? If I go up to a group of people, you know, maybe they're a bunch of, you know, I'll walk into some sort of business. I can go up to every single person, I'll quiz them, and I'll say, how much exercise should we get a week for health benefits? How many of those people do you think actually know the answer to that? Not many, I would guess. So not enough. 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise. What's moderate intensity exercise? Second question I would probably ask them. Would that be related to your heart rate? Mm-hmm. Elevated about heart rate. 60 Elevated heart rate. To 70%. There you go. 60 is about 60% of your maximal heart rate, right? The the hard part is is giving giving people that literacy, the health literacy that they need so they understand why they would do something like that, right? Mm-hmm. The other hard part is the motivation. There's a lot of folks out there. I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's very high. There's a lot of folks out there who do not meet their needs of that 150 minutes per week, which can be cut into 30 minutes five days a week, which is Mm -hmm. what people usually tell you to do, right? Well, that's the reason we tell you that is because that's where the health benefits are. You do that much per week, you're going to get the health benefit out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's different than the fitness and performance stuff. Right, right. Fitness and performance, you got a whole different schedule that you're on. And a different set of goals yes. and objectives. Right. But if we're just talking about getting the public generally healthy, health literacy is is the issue. So when you have wearable technology and, you know, your little app might open up and say, hey, today let's try and get X amount of work done. Why is this important? That type of thing. I think those those little wearables and things like that can help with that. You know what I mean? So a person may wear something like that and be able to say, okay, well, at least I don't have to think about it because my phone's going to think about it or my watch is going to think about it or whatever Mm -hmm. I'm using technology-wise. Our phones have health apps on them now that are pretty much built in, right? You get your iPhone, there's a health app. Mm -hmm. So I think it takes off some of the extra stuff people might have to learn or do. Mm -hmm. And it's just convenient. I think convenience is probably a pretty big help with what we do. So yeah, motivation-wise, okay, well, I'm going to invest in this particular app and they're not cheap. Right. So you'd hope that if you're making that investment, that that would be something that would be of benefit to you. And then on top of that, the technology and the information it gives you is going to help you kind of learn a little bit more about what do I need to know about why I'm doing this? So 
how do we get our country as a whole to be healthier? I always talk, when I talk with my 180 students about this, like, here's all the problems we face as a society when it comes to health. We know that we have moved on from dying from things like smallpox. And now we're dying from things like cancer and heart disease. Heart disease, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So wearable technology is one easy way for you to say, oh, this week I got this much done. Well, I know I need X amount here, and this is what my doctors told me, so now next week I'm going to try again. It's just an easy way for people to kind of keep track of mm-hmm. things, which I think is a barrier. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of takes that away. What we talked about with the older adults, um, I think there's benefits there. And, you know, with younger generations, I, I really don't know if I can speak to that, if there's a whole lot of benefit to little kids wearing, you know, and yeah. I don't know what age range or, you know, if it's high school or what, but um, I think there's probably some sort of benefit there. For me as a mom, it'd probably be because I could watch where they're at, <laughs> <laughs> which is not really physical activity related, but... Um, Releases, relieves your stress. It does relieve my stress, so that would be the benefit to me, but I really can't speak to the kiddos and, and what might benefit them. With, with that. But it's just neat to see how we can do all of these things now with, you know, something that's two inches by two inches and it, you can slap it around your wrist and go. Mm-hmm. So the benefits, yeah, I think the benefits are there. The negative stuff, I kind of mentioned, you know, the, the anxiety of always checking where you go, you know, one extreme or the other. Mm-hmm. But I think there's far more benefit to a lot of this stuff than, than there isn't. And it gives people other options to be healthy. I mentioned the water bottle earlier where, you know, you can drink this water and then it kind of marks it for you with these little lights. Mm. And it's like, if your goal is to drink more water during the day because you're not getting enough water, then sure. If that's what's going to help you, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my students just carry around a gallon jug. They do. I they see do. a lot of students <laughs> across campus. And, and that's, I'm like, yeah. And that's fine too. But, you know, for some people, the technology is what kind of gets them going. Mm-hmm. Gives them something pretty to look at while they're... yeah. Sweating chugging water, yeah. <laughs> Sweating or yeah, chugging water. And when you're talking about all these wearables and the benefits, we as a society kind of have a very sedentary lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, and our jobs play into that. Mm-hmm. These um, wearables can kind of tell us to get up and move every so often. They'll shoot a reminder to you that says hey, you've been sitting at your desk for the last hour. Can you do a couple hundred steps for me? How do we get that into kind of our culture? Well, hopefully this is kind of one of the keys to that. It's popular. There are huge sales on these things. So I think that says something about our society. Um, I always just go back to health literacy, though. You know, I think a lot of us go to college and we major in what we major in. And actually, science, we know everything about what you need to be doing. But if we go over to the College of Business, do you know everything that we know? You don't. And so I think it's on our people who are in this industry to promote those things as best as they can. And, you know, one person isn't going to fix the entire country, but when we get our students and we get them out the door, we remind them, hey, you're going to impact some people. You're working directly with people, and you are going to be the voice for them, the voice of reason that says, hey, here's why you're going to do strength training with your cardio. Here's why it's important to keep your flexibility so that you can move normally, so that you don't start having problems and issues. Here's the rates for um, folks who work out versus folks who don't when it comes to cancer death and cardiovascular death. It is too bad that we're kind of a reactive society, too, Mm -hmm. that something 
happens before we start taking the steps to take right. good care of ourselves. Right. Rather than being active, I don't believe there is such a word as proactive. I think it's being active mm-hmm. um, instead of waiting for that calamity and then, okay, boy, I do need to take this a lot more seriously because this can happen yep. and did happen uh, to me or someone I love. But that's such a challenge, though, because There's so many we don't start off in the right ways. Mm-hmm. We have to make adjustments, and we are more comfortable with things that we're familiar with than something new or something different. Well, and it's scary, too. Sure. Fear is a... Pretty Great motivator. Yes, it is. Yeah. Fear is a motivator. That's the idea, though, and I think that goes back to your question is, all right, we know sales are up in this industry. You know, it would be nice to make them readily available to people who aren't at a socioeconomic status where they could afford such mm-hmm. a thing. Um, and maybe we'll get there. One of the one of the other things we talk about is um, exercise as medicine, and that's an initiative that started not too long ago, I should say, where the American College of Sports Medicine um, has been working on, you know, this is why we should be including exercise as a medical treatment option. How cool would it be someday for us to have a doctor prescribe and an insurance company cover time with a personal trainer? trainer? Yes. You know what I mean? Right, right. We do that with cardiac events when someone's already had the event. After the event, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, we're very good. But how much could we prevent if we prescribed that? Yeah. So now we're in the realm of health promotion and disease prevention. Mm-hmm. And that's a very interesting industry. There's a lot of smart people with a lot of really good ideas, but how do we get them out there? So right now, what's working? Right now, what's working are wearables, your phone. You know, it seems like people like that. Okay, so then what can that do for those folks? And what can we do to help them kind of um, adhere to exercise long term? and know the benefits of, of it reducing cardiovascular events, cancers, and accidents, which when I'm talking accidents, I'm typically talking about falls. And falls will kill people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a high percentage of folks, the first time they fracture their hip within that first year, their mortality rate goes up. Um, and so those are kind of the three areas right now where we're really trying to combat things. That and obesity, but that leads back to cardiac and cancer. I think we use what we know is working right now, and we try to get people to buy in that way to, to do the exercise. Exercise as medicine, that would be something cool and emerging yeah. from your question earlier. Kind of the wellness aspect. Yeah. yeah. How, can we, how can we make that work for folks? You know? But I, th- I think I remember, I'm old enough, that when you had the, just the simple pedometer that mm-hmm. measured the number of steps you took was pretty pricey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, it's oh. kind of an impulse item <laughs> as you check out. You can buy one for 10.99. And and maybe it'll take a while for mm-hmm. say an Apple Watch or a Garmin device or a Fitbit. But eventually, um as it become more and more produced, um they'll be closer to the affordable range for most of us. Yeah, and you know some of them right now aren't so bad. Um yeah. Some of the, they're the, the knockoff brands or whatever, but some of them are, you can get at a cheaper rate. But yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. When they first came out, they were wildly expensive. Now we are seeing some of those knockoff brands oh, yeah. lesser in cost. So that would be nice, you know, always, one of the things we teach our students too is, you know, exercise and physical activity is for all. And if there's a barrier in the way, that might be financial, that might be accessibility. Um, how do we knock that barrier down. 
Um, when you think about inner city children who have parks that they could play in, you know, kids need an hour a day of activity, but those parks aren't safe for whatever reason, needles, predators, whatever. Well, that's a barrier, mm-hmm. you know? So when we think about how we're going to fix some of these long-term issues that we see, childhood obesity, cancer, cardiac, all of that, we got to think about, you know, what are the social determinants of health that we need to address as well? And, you know, technology will have its place in there somehow. I, I am not an expert in those areas, but I'm sure that we are using technology or we're going to develop something someday that helps with that. Cyberology. Stepping away from the wearables, um, as Gabe mentioned, kind of the pedometer mm-hmm. was an early adaptation. What are some other, like, inexpensive things that people can do when thinking about their exercise plan Mm -hmm. or trying to improve upon their health. So we all, you know, the COVID. (laughs) COVID. Here comes the COVID talk. But if we're going to look at any silver linings, home health, home exercise has been a huge thing lately. When we couldn't go to the gym safely or when the gyms were closed down, you got YouTube. (laughs) There's a lot of at-home stuff that you can do. Bodyweight exercises are so, so easy and so free. It's just how do they do them, right? How do I do a bodyweight exercise? Again, that goes back to health literacy, right? Well, if you can find a reliable person on the YouTube and you can kind of, you know, vet what you're going through because, you know, you don't want to be working out with some, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Someone like me? (laughs) Someone not experienced (laughs) who's just doing stuff. There's a a method behind our madness in the exercise science world. That's why we take science classes. But home stuff is is really important. And I've seen a lot of home technology too. Like we all know the Peloton bike commercials, right? Those have gone viral Mm -hmm. and all that. But, and I know, again, that's an affordability thing, but there's mirrors now that you can get where you can see your own reflection, but then they do the workout with you. Um, Those fascinate me because cool. it, it's just so crazy to be like, oh, there's a trainer that's helping you while yeah. you're this doing is wild. virtually. Yes. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, good old YouTube is your friend. And there's a lot of different um, health apps out there. My friends will occasionally send me, hey, try this app out with me and we can watch each other's progress and it's free. Okay, cool. So I've done that one for a while. My app is like Center. It's called CenterFit. Um, and it does nutrition, it does blogs to talk about literacy, you know. So all of these different apps out there are free. You can get on your phone, flip it over, and start your workout. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing and a benefit from all of us being stuck at home for so long. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been a fascinating listen and learning session for me. I don't know about Gabe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, just, let, let's talk about the exercise science program for just okay. a second. Uh, approximately how many students do we have in the program? Oh, between like 60 and 80, I think. It kind of wow. changes a lot because every semester we're getting transfers and people are coming and going a little and bit. So when they take on a degree like exercise science, what you mentioned that some were going into certain types of careers. What other oh. kinds of things do our students do with that degree oh, and background? Yes. So they can do so much. They come in, they declare their major. So if they're an exercise science major, then what they do is they go into their first freshman year classes. They take a couple of the courses that I mentioned earlier. Um, and then they get to their junior year. And that's really where the program takes off. They start with ex-phys and then they go on to all the specialized courses. So in our program, we have a lot of electives. 
um, that are available to students. And the reason we do that, partly, is because a lot of the times there are students who want to go on to advanced fields, like physical therapists, occupational therapists, athletic trainers, nursing, just strength and conditioning, like uh, where you go and work with college athletes, athletes. or professional okay. athletes. Um, those are kind of the main ones that they go through. And so those elective credits are designed so that they can use kind of those free credits, if you will, um, where, you know, maybe they would have picked up a Spanish minor with that those credits. Well, mm-hmm. They actually have to use those credits to get into those programs. Those programs have specific classes in each of them where athletic training and PT are very similar. They want a full year of chemistry. They want a full year of biology. They want a full year of physics. We don't have in our program a full year of physics where you have to do two years or two semesters of physics. But if you're going to go on and you want to do PT school, we're going to put you in physics too because you need it mm-hmm. to get in, mm-hmm. right? So um, we we tailor our program to a lot of different healthcare professions that they tend to go to later. We've had students who've looked into becoming medical doctors or physician assistants. Well, that takes a lot of chemistry. So then we make sure that they're getting those chem courses and they're ready to go with that when they go to apply so they can be accepted. I mentioned earlier sports psychology is a pretty cool one. Mm-hmm. We're really getting into the mind stuff, it seems like. It's really an important component of human movement is, you know, the brain and the body talking. Working together? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the connection, yeah. Or the lack thereof, <laughs> for those of us who aren't Why are you looking at me when you, when you say that? <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, sports psych is a cool one. Um all the orthopedic stuff, of course, is, is obvious. Other areas exercise science students find themselves in nursing um, is kind of a, one you wouldn't think of normally. It sounds like there's a lot of alternatives that they can choose from once they've decided they want to do something in the area of physical activity, exercise. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. It's good, too, yeah. um, you know, because we need those folks out there. There's biomechanics is really cool. I know it sounds scary, and it, it kind of it's, it's kind of intimidating at first because it's physics of the body. So, like, take Newton's three laws and apply it to the body. Um, okay. Just, if, just to give you kind of a quick snapshot. But those students, you know, if they want to go become biomechanists, they're going to do really cool stuff, like look at helmets and talk about, like, and the velocity of a baseball is way different than a football player in the box who's constantly getting hit. So what kind of helmets do they need to help with those impacts? Research is another area they can go into. Concussion research right now is really important. I think in the last maybe two years, I want to say, it might be sooner than that. But in the last two years, somebody um, or a group of researchers over in somewhere in Europe found a biomarker for concussions. We didn't have that before. Wow. Wow. And so now they're kind of taking off with that study over there. So research is a really important area, too, if people want to get behind that instead of doing clinical type of work. We have a lot of different areas of research that people need. When it comes to different abilities, physical or intellectual, we need folks in the, behind the research doing that to help them out with whatever the barriers are. So you can kind of take it and run with it, and you find a niche that you like, we'll get you there. Wow, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Recently, you had a graduate that went on to become a firefighter, right? That's right. Yes, that's another one. She knew what she wanted from day one. She came in, (laughs) she did what she did, and she's out fighting wildfires. She was in the hills, um, I think, when you guys took a picture of her. Oh, wow. Or she sent in a picture. She sent in, yes. And showed her out, and there's the blaze of fire behind her, and she's in her fire gear. And Oh, wow. She's I hadn't heard this. Yep. She, um... You can find that story on DSU's website. I will look. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, yeah, firefighter, you want to go do that? Great. First responder, you bet. 
And those are in those type of careers, you need that physical activity too. Mm-hmm. So I think you know she had it right. Firefighters don't mess around when it comes to training. Neither do a lot of police officers, folks who need to be out right. running around. So mm-hmm. it's a great major for that type of stuff too. Well, thank you so much for being a guest today, Carrie. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you to our podcast producer, Xander Morrison. And thank you for listening to Cyberology. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking a moment of your time to rate and review. 